0: Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve.
1: Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the host of the Association 4.0 podcast. I am also co-founder of .org Community and founder and CEO of orgSource, Source, a consultancy to associations. Today my guest is Mark Sotochek. He is the COO of the North Carolina Association of CPAs. NCA CPA's mission is to enhance the accounting profession and the community it serves through advocacy, connections, education, and resources. The organization's 30-plus committees task force and advisory group regularly interacts with the North Carolina State Board of CPA Examiners the North Carolina General Assembly, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, Financial Accounting (laughs) Standards Board, IRS, and other regulators who shape state and national accounting standards. So welcome, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Sherry, thank you so much for the invite. I'm really honored to be here.
1: As many of the listeners know, I am passionate about helping leaders develop skills for navigating fast-paced digital markets. This conversation is one of several where I'm inviting guests to discuss their strategies and advice for the future in this new environment. Mark, I got to know you through kind of some of your digital transformation endeavors that you led, and I'm really excited to hear from you today and talk to you about what you've done at your organization. So tell us about yourself and NCACPA and what changes the organization has kind of experienced over the last couple of years and You know, I guess one of my other questions is, you know, we're still asking is, did the pandemic kind of permanently shift some of your perspectives on things?
0: Well, I'm glad we're starting off with such a light question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my role, as you said, as the chief operating officer at the association, I am a CPA, And I was a member of the association, long-time volunteer, before actually coming on staff. So I do know kind of both sides, which is really helpful, I think, in an association world. So to answer your questions, let me take the second question first. Did the pandemic permanently shift our perspective? Yes. I think the pandemic has permanently shifted mine, ours, everyone's perspectives, not just in the association world, but even societally. I think the challenge is that the associations typically historically are not the best at change or changing quickly. I think what the pandemic did, we all saw kind of what was coming, especially from our lens in the association world, the pandemic, it just seems, and then the you know, the advent of technology and whatnot since then has just sped that up exponentially. Yeah. So I think that lends itself to defining kind of what our perspective is, what our shift has been over the last couple of years. And I want to say, thinking through this, our shift has been much more or just as much cultural as programmatic. We have had to, as a team, be much more fluid, understand we have a direction, we have what we think our the guide is, but also so many things are coming up that were unexpected, new, the environment is creating, and we have to be adaptive to that. And I think that's probably one of the biggest shifts that, that we've had and what we've experienced over the past couple of years. I think in talking with some of the other leaders who are at the the forefront of their industries and associations, the common thread is this notion of avoiding this checklist type strategic plan that covers the next three to five years, because it's just... It's not useful. So much is changing at such a rapid rate. So, what we're trying to do is keep our heads focused, but continuing to scan the environment to determine yeah. if that endpoint needs to shift or something else new presents itself. But as you alluded to, our digital transformation has absolutely been at the forefront really, our technology infrastructure, really focusing on our sustainability of our organization and staffing. I don't know what you've seen, or I'm sure what you've seen, but the great resignation was not just for the Fortune 500 companies. Uh, It hit the association space pretty hard as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think you touched on quite a few things of, you know, no longer having a three to five year plan is working for organizations. I talked to a CEO the other day who said they're getting opportunities with grants and things like that just to keep themselves kind of sustainable. And I said, well, what do you do, you know, from a staffing or strategy standpoint? He's like, I just go back to the board and say, okay, well, this is still the plan, but we've got to push it back a year or whatever. Like this, these are our guideposts, but there's opportunities that are presenting themselves and we've got to move and be agile and move on those opportunities. And so that lens, I think, is really important. And for me as kind of an entrepreneur, like I'm always looking for that opportunity. So I guess it's good to hear that organizations are starting to to think that way a little bit more. And then in terms of staffing, yeah, we're seeing a lot of folks just struggling with trying to keep staff and you know be able to pay staff the salaries in the work environment. You know, now Nobody even wants to go back to the office and the work-life balance is, I don't know, nobody's working like I used to work in my twenties. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, so that kind of the expectations and my daughter, all her friends graduated from college this year and I see kind of their work environments and what associations are competing with. Just kind of all of the perks and flexibility and all of those things. You know, Mark, accounting is a profession that technology promises to disrupt in ways that are uncomfortable, um, ways that we may not even know. So what professional changes are your members experiencing and how are you guys helping them prepare for future disruption?
0: I'm so happy you asked this question. Short answer, technology will disrupt. Or even replace those who do not use the technology. And Sherry, I don't think that's isolated to the accounting profession. But yes, yeah. if you read in everything from the Wall Street Journal to, you know, different media outlets, accounting seems to be like the target for, you know, every article of what AI and technology is going to replace accounting as a whole. And I think it's a little ill informed at first. And I think we need to have a better understanding of, of accounting because it's a lot broader than I think what people think. And mm-hmm. So in in terms of what I think will be replaced in the near term, because it's already going down that road, is general bookkeeping. And I think that's kind of an issue is that people tie bookkeeping and accounting together synonymously. And bookkeeping is a piece of it, but it is not everything that we do.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: In talking with other public practitioners, firm leaders and whatnot, I don't think that there's this huge concern out there that technology is going to kind of really cause a bunch of chaos. Technology has always been a disruptor in the profession since Excel and the computer. I think what's happened is the profession is very dynamic. It has learned how to use these tools to enhance the services that we provide, whether that be at the individual tax practitioner level and the advice and insight and guidance that they can provide to mom and pop on Main Street or to some of the larger firms that use it when they're auditing or providing consultative services to multinational organizations. I don't think it's really coming wipe away accounting as a whole, like some people say, honestly, the biggest change that we're seeing from this, and especially all these comments, is around our pipeline and staffing Mm -hmm. and getting graduates coming in, those who are kind of going through school in this. That's probably one of our biggest challenges at the moment. We're actually advocating for accounting to be included in STEM because there is so much technology that goes into accounting. And a lot of people don't understand that. And what we're trying to do at the association level for our members, A, a lot of advocacy, a lot of awareness. But two, part of our curriculum, catalog, events, everything has this lens around technology or business model shifts or how to manage more effectively, how to lead in new environments. We are really focused on mapping Our curriculum, our programs to enhancing the competency of a firm leader, uh, a sole practitioner in the profession, or a CFO controller, because there's so much that's going on. So that's a major way of how we're really trying to help prepare them for just this continuous disruption. It's not start and stops, it's just continuous these days.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think that it's the pace of change that I think causes people anxiety because. Like I use this scenario, one of my first jobs was working with a medical society and we built one of the first websites. Well, we had a year plus to do that, right? Like we had vendors, we had time with AI and some of the other, you know, technologies. It's here, how do we utilize it? It's like, it seems to be so fast. I could see the challenges just from a career development standpoint, because I mentioned my older daughter, but my younger daughter is looking at colleges right now. And career path and I'm taking the lens of, okay, let's be broad enough in case things change in the next couple of years that that career path's not the best. So for instance, she's talking about, it's the same thing with lawyers. So she's talking about going to law school. I'm like, yeah, well, let's make sure you got a really good solid degree. That you're not going to have to rely on a law school degree because I don't know what the opportunities are there, you know, based on what you're interested in moving forward and things like that. There will always be lawyers, right? But there is that, like, what is going to be the job demand with the, the technology that's here? So I can see where that's a, a challenge on the accounting because people are hearing the same thing. They probably have parents going, well, you know, will that be a career long-term um, for you? So yeah. especially when you're spending all this money going to college. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Getting that,
0: changing that image, shifting it from this person with a green visor, head down, doing you know ten forties all day, yeah. night, is a huge focal point for our association, for the national association, of the profession as a whole, because that's that's just not the case anymore. And so it's it's really hard to kind of get that word out.
1: Yeah. So you had mentioned when when we started the podcast about culture, and I've been thinking a lot about the intersection of culture and technology. How do you see culture impacting your operations? And as a COO, what are you doing to kind of strengthen that human side of, of your business? So when we were talking the other day, I think a lot of folks, when they engage us, they're very specific on needing a new technology and don't really understand the change management that's needed, the culture, you know, those projects are hard. So I don't know. Can you talk to me a little bit more about culture and the impact?
0: I can try. Uh, (laughs) This is another great question. I know that you are not the only one thinking about this crucial intersection because technology has helped us in a lot of ways. Many of us have leveraged that technology to enable virtual learning and connections. We've helped reduce costs, increase productivity, which, all sounds like a dream statement for a corporation, but it's a sobering statement for a mission driven organization. Mm -hmm. And so really a focus of of ours, we were really focusing on this even pre-pandemic, was how do we continue to be a relationship based organization and not a transactional based organization? Because once you go into that transaction, you become more of a commodity and you really lost your competitive advantage. So if we want to be more relationship based, we had to do our own foundational work internally first. You know, build a different culture internally. We're pretty big believers in the uh, the Lencioni model. Patrick Lencioni's the the five dysfunctions of a team and how to become mm-hmm. a higher performing team. We've done a lot to prioritize. Those foundational principles really, and at the the core of it, it's trust internally through a lot of our efforts. And what we've done in that, we just went through a major AMS conversion after being on our legacy system for two decades. It's a much more collaborative approach. It's a shared approach. It's not one where, as COO, I'm just dictating, here's where, here's where we're going. We can't go down that road anymore. We do get buy-in, we we talk to our team, we try to find out pain points, but a lot of it is is built on trust and communication. And it's not, this is where I, I love technology because it has helped expedite a lot of things, but it has hurt, at least I know our organizations, similar organizations, We don't have conversations like we used to. Mm -hmm. And there's so much trust that can be built in having those conversations. There's so much knowledge that can be shared in that. And it's so easy for people to send a Teams or a Slack message or a text or an email, and you just lose part of your culture. And so we've really tried to focus on, you know, even if it is a meeting um, and it's virtual, everyone's cameras are on. Like we have to have this face-to-face, this personal interaction because that that's helped us. I mean, the, you know, going through an AMS conversion is not easy if everything goes perfect. And we had a really expedited timeline. And if we did not have the culture we did and the teamwork and the conversations that took place, that would have sunk us.
1: Yeah. For us, you know, looking at Kevin and the team, really lead all of those ams implementations and things like that but back you know pre-2020 i was always showing up i don't know i was bringing the cupcakes and the bagels and whatever but i was showing up at clients and i would learn so much just in the hallway i would be in the hall talking to the ceo and he'd say oh yeah just with an important meeting we're changing the membership model i'm like what what do you mean? So then I'd run back to, you know, the team that's working on the AMS. I'm like, guys, I know that you just tested this and you're getting ready to go live, but so-and-so just said that, you know, they're changing the membership model. We're like, okay, we miss those pieces of the puzzle. And it's not that it can't be worked through, right? But it just takes longer now. Cause we're like, okay, well now we didn't know that until down the road, because sometimes there's people in the organization that just don't think a certain thing that they're doing is important is going to impact the project. And like I said, you kind of miss that water cooler per se kind of conversation and and those that relationship building. So to your point, being so intentional when you are having those Zoom meetings and taking the time, because I also think it's hard when you've got a scheduled meeting, we've got, you know, whatever, 30 minutes, an hour, and you're not giving yourself enough time during the day because you're on back-to-back Zoom calls.
0: We have adopted a lot of bad habits through the pandemic, through working virtually. We have come back. We've instituted kind of a return to office and a hybrid model. But part of what we heard was, if I'm gonna be in the office, how's that gonna be different? So what we're trying to do is use those times where people are in the office, setting blocks of time every day. These are collaborative meeting spaces. If you have like a one-on-one blocked on there, You may have to move it because this is where it's project-based. This is where we can come together, have the conversations about one of our strategic initiatives, work together so that everyone's hearing the same message, and we're doing it face-to-face. Yeah. We just have to unlearn a lot of the bad habits over the past couple of years and just try to relearn and reestablish new boundaries, new guides, new ways of working together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So Mark, how do you think the rise of technology and AI has impacted the talent that you're looking for? And has your recruitment changed at all? Or, I mean, I talk to organizations that are kind of at extreme size. One says, oh yeah, I'm not going to need these developers and these types of folks moving forward. And then others are like, no, we're just enhancing some of the things that that we're doing.
0: So for our organization, we're about 25 to 30 employees. So we don't have a robust IT developer, coder department in in our team. We just don't have the the capacity for that. Mm -hmm. But as we have changed some of our tech stack, our infrastructure, as we look at what's coming down the pipe, I don't think that we're necessarily changing drastically our talent recruitment. What we are concerned about is learning about an individual's experience with changing technology, mm-hmm. adopting technology. How do they learn? You know, tell us about when they've gone through some sort of an infrastructure change and what that was like for them, etc. Because we recognize, and you touched upon this earlier, we are going through a digital transformation. We're trying to identify the right partners. And as we talk about technology and AI, I'm not necessarily looking for a prompt engineer to come in. Because a lot of our partners that we are intentionally choosing, they are platforms that are scalable. They are platforms already dedicated investment and time and R&D being made to either enable AI in this, to add that functionality. So I need my team to be comfortable using the tools. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need the expert in AI, but I need someone who can use the tools and derive insights from that. So I think that's probably the biggest area of change. I think the other aspect prior to the pandemic, it was you were in the office five days a week, pretty much. Everyone was local. You know, now we have people who work out of state. We have permanently remote positions that opens it up a great deal, especially when we went through the great resignation last year, our staffing pool was much wider than just our kind of local community, which I was very grateful for. Unfortunately, it kind of works in in reverse. My team is also, you know, being poached by individuals and companies that are not in North Carolina. True. Um, Yeah. So it it works both ways, but it, it That has definitely changed the dynamic.
1: So Mark, how do you think organizations can help teams innovate? How do you create a balance between innovation and stability?
0: I don't even know what stability feels like anymore. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. I think the biggest thing, the most important thing that an organization can do to help facilitate and create that culture of innovation, because that's really what we're trying to do. I think the first thing to do is just talk about and make sure everyone understands what innovation means. To me, innovation does not necessarily mean the the shiny new technology platform or some significant budget line item. Innovation is progress. It's improvement. It's yeah. how can we how can we make a, an iterative or incremental change to this process that maybe frees up a little capacity or gets things done a little bit more efficiently? How can we create a culture where we are critically looking at our processes and not just blindly following just what we've done? So we've Tried to do that. Celebrate the small wins because if we're making iterative changes throughout, the processes are becoming more innovative. They're becoming more efficient. That's a big piece of it. Now at the same time, I've also talked about we did a massive AMS conversion with new technology. So I think an organization kind of has to, to be able to do both. You have to be able to kind of put your money where your mouth is. We just talked about staffing and talent. Our technology, even as an association, a small association, we're about seven to eight million in revenue a year. The tech- technology stack that we have and who we use and who we partner with is a question. It's a staff retention aspect of the conversations we have with our team mm-hmm. to make because sometimes we've had folks consider leaving because the technology that they had to use was was inefficient out of date. We have to create that culture and it, it's both. It's business process, it's technology, it is continuing to invest and continue to work with partners who are investing mm-hmm. that's a big shift for us we used to go with the smaller entity the startup that could give us some really good pricing a lot yeah. of the attention. then they'd get bought out like four times and yeah. you know we <laughs> wouldn't know who's who's running it anymore we've now tried to find those solid vendors platforms reliable that have the the assets to continue to invest in their platform and product and that's that's made a big difference with our team.
1: That's great. So I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit and ask you, you know, do you see kind of in the future the dynamics between board and staff changing or maybe what qualities do boards need to help associations be successful in today's environment?
0: I'm going to answer this more from a staff member's perspective having seen both sides. You know, boards Shift, they transform, they transition, they have term limits. So you have new people kind of coming in and out as an organization continues to persevere for a longer period of time. Having individuals on a board that are curious, what the Ted Lasso, curious and not judgmental, I think Mm -hmm. was his line, but curious about what you're doing, curious about how you're doing it, having that trust in the leadership around the direction, around the decisions, but are there trying to understand how and in what way they can be assets and resources they have a fiduciary responsibility yes but so many board members don't understand what it's like to run an association right i was treasurer for our association before i even came on and even then i felt like when i came on board it's like now you're pulling back the curtain and seeing like the mayhem wow. yeah. <laughs> that the members and board never see they always see the the, the wonderful performance right um and so it's just understanding that there is that dichotomy and, and having a board that stays in their swim lane, you know, from a governance and a, a strategy advisory capacity and making sure that management and then the staff are, are upholding their, their responsibilities to running the organization in a successful manner. So we just have to be able to talk and understand that nobody knows everything. And board members, they are the most well-intentioned volunteer leaders, especially for us, but they don't have that deep understanding of how the organization truly runs.
1: Right. And the operations. So Mark, here's the question that I'm asking everybody lately that you may or may not have an answer to, but do you see the role of associations and society changing in the future? Do you think it's expanding, contracting? Needs to be completely reshaped. Do you think organizations will have to be kind of revisiting their missions or do you see them taking on kind of new roles and responsibilities? That was a lot of questions. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's.
0: A lot of questions, a lot of great questions, and a lot that I think everyone is is wrestling with. Do I think that the organizations are going to revisit their missions? Let me answer that one first. Yes, we did that. We purposefully, just as an example, removed North Carolina from our mission. We removed CPAs from our mission. It's in our name, but the accounting profession, as an example, is a lot broader than just CPAs. Mm -hmm. I think that that is where kind of leads into answering your other questions about. You know, what do associations, especially membership, professional associations, what do they need to do to continue to be sustainable, to thrive, to to adapt? And it's thinking beyond maybe what that core mission used to be, whether that's 5, 10, 25, or more years ago. Understand that a lot of what we do is borderless
1: now. Yeah,
0: I do think that it is going to be a different world in the association space. I think that there are some organizations that have a lot of resources, and I think that's going to be a big deciding factor. I, f- I feel like I'm already seeing it a little bit, like mm-hmm. the haves and have-nots. There's this gap that's being yeah. created because- you have to have some serious resources to continue to reinvent yourself and invest and be able to take advantage of opportunities. A lot of organizations, a lot of nonprofits and associations aren't cash flush. They don't have that luxury of significant reserves. Right. Um, and as we talk about what our revenue streams need to look like, what our programs and activities of focus need to be, that's going to require some investment in, in some way, shape or form. and. Sure. We have to make that change. And I've talked to to other state societies and and other organizations about it. My belief is an organization needs to change and look at these things when they are at their strongest, where they have those resources, they have the ability to try something, maybe fail, learn, adjust, adapt, and try something else. Because if we wait until the bitter end and we try to ride Mm -hmm. this train for as long as we can, that track's going to end at some point. And if you wait until it's too far... You may be forced to make a decision that may not be what you really want or need or be the best, but it's what you have to do versus trying to influence and control the future of your organization. That's where I have been talking to our board about, talking to our staff about. We want to play from the perspective of we want to try to influence what our future is, not be influenced by the market telling us where we unfortunately have to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's some great thoughts and insights, Mark. I really appreciate all of your time. And this was a great discussion. And I want to thank our listeners. Hope they enjoyed the episode today. And Mark, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Email. You can email me m s o t i c h e c k at n c a c p a -a 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 -a
1: great well thank you so much i really appreciate your time today mark this was great
0: thank you so much sherry i really appreciate being here we hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology strategy and marketing please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.